Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, or Neon Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Ahoy, hoy. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 4, Episode 20, nice, which is titled <laughs> A pa- Past Regret and Future Fear. The episode aired on April 30th, 1998. Lauren, what was going on that week 23 years ago? Uh, nothing really notable happened, so we'll say rest in peace to two famous women we lost in April 1998. Country singer Tammy Wynette on April 6th at age 55, and Linda McCartney, musician and wife of Paul McCartney, on April 17th at age 56. The Big Hit, starring Mark Wahlberg and Christina Applegate, debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office. Have either of you even heard of this movie? No, nope. and it only took the weekend box office by like less than a million dollars. So okay. people are still loving up on Nicolas Cage. All right. And Too Close by Next takes over the number one spot on the music charts. And for reference, this is the song that that classic Vine was based on. Why the fuck you lying? Why you always lying? Oh my God. Great. Well, blast out my eardrums like we did when I listened to a pre-show. I just like, I because I didn't know the song off of like... Uh, name alone and so i mm-hmm. went to go listen to it and i was like i think i remember this song but like it didn't really do but i was like but it sounds really familiar what am right. i like what am i thinking of and then i thought of the vine and i was like oh, shit, that's what it is and in headlines today this is our first recording at the new stt studio chicago location yeah Woo-hoo. so if the uh, so if lauren and mine's audio sounds a little more echoey than normal that would be do not adjust your headsets that is <laughs> We're getting our soundproofing set up in the new office. Yeah, we're, we're going to try. Work in progress. Yep. So as for what else was on that evening at 8 p.m., friends with the episode The One with the Worst Best Man Ever. At 8.30 p.m., Just Shoot Me with the episode Rescue Me. At 9 p.m., Seinfeld with the episode The Maid. And at 9.30, Veronica's Closet with the episode Veronica's Mole. I spaced out for a second and I thought you said the rescue me episode, just shoot me. I was like, wait a second, what? Yeah, nope. that one that one kind of threw me for a loop for a second too. I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Not the right time nor the right channel. But uh, this week's episode had 30.2 million viewers tuning in down just a little bit from last week. Uh, this week's episode is directed by our own Anthony Edwards doing oh. his second out of four episodes that he would direct uh the previous one of his we talked about was take these broken wings way back in season two that was uh the one where susan was in therapy the whole time oh that was that episode uh written this week's episode is written by jack orman doing his fourth out of 28 episodes previous ones of his from this season we've talked about include my brother's keeper do you see what i see and when the bow breaks i feel like i feel like i asked this before but has anyone else on the cast done not to directing gigs yet i know i know laura ennis and paul mccrane will do some later and eric lasalle will do some later yeah but. not not to date i think i'm trying to remember if eric lasalle does any before he leaves i don't think i, don't he, think, so. I think anthony edwards might be the only one until we get to weaver later on um i i think anthony edwards might be the only one of the original cast who actually does any directing while he's still on the show but mm-hmm. i'm not sure about that yeah okay well, getting into this episode, we are, got our previously on from Carol, and we open the episode with Benton on the phone, and Corday pops in with a yoga mat and looking her the most 90 workout clothes ever. I love it. This is way before your tech fits and your dry fits. She, she's and, in like a baggy Tommy Hilfiger shirt. Yeah. Nothing is being whipped. Yeah. Very cute sports Very bra, cute though. Very cute sports bra. Yeah. Uh, they are clearly now hooking up. So have we, have we established a relationship name for them? 
Uh, ben Day, I believe, is the Ben uh, Day. That's okay. that's the fandom name for them, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So we are firmly in Ben Day. That's. It sounds like I'm want to apply ointment to something. That sounds completely unsexy. <laughs> um. Yeah, they are clearly now hooking up, and Reese is getting baptized. Uh, today. So yay, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, and just before Ben leaves. Corday just goes, it was really lovely last night. It's really cute. <laughs> I'm here for it. Yeah. Also, it is magic to watch her tie her hair up. Yes. It, it goes from this this big, humid, sweaty ball of hair down to nothing. Yeah, with all the curls that she's got going <laughs> yeah, on there. Yeah, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. That takes practice, folks. Mm-hmm. As two ladies with very fine and relatively wavy straight hair, it was amazing to watch. It was a magic trick. Um, but then we go over to Carol and Doug are prepping brunch for her mom at Carol's place. And they're just like, we should have met on neutral territory. This is a terrible mistake. Like, just they're freaking out because after how Carol's mom reacted when she said they were engaged. Not great. Um, <laughs> but then Carol's mom shows up and brings Javier. And Javier is calling her sweet pea and offering to, like, take her stuff and just being very schmoozy with her and very cute. And Carol is completely disturbed by this never great when one of your if you're if you grew up with a single parent and one of them just yeah. showing up unannounced with a date that's kind of weird it's almost how we um it's how we caught my mom with my stepdad as he was dropping her off i didn't realize that was a catching scenario. oh oh yeah she didn't tell us first um <laughs> they had been dating for a while because my mom was very careful and didn't want to introduce any potential suitors to us until she knew the relationship was serious because she knew how unstable stuff was with my dad and how yeah. he would just bring ladies home and in and out of our lives. Um, and so one day my mom said, cause we lived in an apartment complex around a like lake. Mm-hmm. So my mom would often go for walks around the lake. So she said she was on one of her walks and my sister went down to meet her. And instead of seeing my mom coming back around the lake, she saw my mom getting dropped off, kissed by a white haired man in a Lexus. <laughs> and there, and my sister was about uh, 16 so there were questions and she <laughs> interrogated my mom and then ran upstairs and immediately told 10 year old me and cat was out of the bag and they're happily married still so there you go yep and uh javier here is uh played by actor castulo guerra who appeared in stuff like Terminator 2, The Usual Suspects, and The Purge Anarchy. This is his only appearance as Javier. Javier as a character, as far as I know, never gets mentioned again after this little scene here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he will make two appearances as a judge in 2001. So I'm wondering if that has something to do with Reese's custody case. I'm wondering if he's going to be the judge in that. That would track. So. And they brought champagne for mimosas to celebrate two happy couples, right? And we get such Clooney chuckles. Daniel, it's a shame you had already done the compilation for Mary. Because this would have made the top of the list. They would just add to it at this point. Just just keep keep adding to it. (laughs) Just keep extending it out. Um, And then we are in with bangs. And we come out of the intro with Carol complaining about Javier and how he schmoozed her mom and how they, they met at the racetrack, which she's very disapproving of. Says that, uh, you know, my mother hates men. And uh, Doug seems very happy with the whole situation. Like he, like Carol's mom is happy with him for the first time ever. And Carol's mom seems happy in her relationship. He's like, Hey, if she's getting some, like don't get mad at her, (laughs) which yeah, that's pretty much Carol's reaction. (laughs) 
coming in, we have a medevac incoming, a 29-year-old with a chemical burn. So we'll, that's going to be kind of one of our main patients for the episode. So we'll circle back to that in just a little bit. But then we see Romano stopping Lizzie in the elevator heading up. And he cryptically tells her, I think it's about time you and I had a little sit down. Oh, no. And I don't know if you two noticed this, but I changed the, the spelling of Lizzie halfway through this set of notes because I've realized I've been spelling it the way our Lizzie spells it, not the way Corday spells it. I so didn't realize that I had, it was canon one way or, the, or another. Where did the? I believe it. I believe it's canon L I Z Z Y. And I don't think it particularly matters. It doesn't, <laughs> but I'm sharing some behind the curtain information. There you go. I'm delirious and here. Well, some so. other behind the curtain information is that this actually is actually a 31 year old patient. We really hope someone got fired for that blunder. Oh yes. man, it's it's inconsistent. The Medivax is 29, and the helicopter EMTs say 31. Saying the tone, a pedantic ER retrospective. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the helicopter does come in. He has second and third degree chemical burns uh, high, with hydrofluoric acid. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Apparently, if it's if it was hydrochloric acid, it would be a much different proposition. And they probably... it's It sounded like the way they were worried about it, that they wouldn't even like want to like bring him into the hospital. I think it's just different chemical reactions and it would change like what their containment yeah. procedures would be. Like, like the, it's, it's not like they would need like full hazmat suits. Yeah. Yeah. But this one I think has a worse prognosis for him. Yeah. Based off how it plays out. Yeah. He tried, this guy tried to rinse off in the safety shower after the spill to no avail. Uh, gentleman's name is Paul Cantera, who I recognized. Yeah. He's probably one of the bigger, Oh, Hey, it's that guys we've ever had on the show to this point. Uh, Michael Rappaport, who is, I don't know, what's your, what, what is y'all's opinion of Michael Rappaport as a, as an actor? Like, not, not necessarily in this episode, but just in general. I like him, but I like he, I just remember him fondly from this really, this show, this, uh, fuck, what's it? I, I have David E. Kelly, mm-hmm. one of his like random shows that he had on Fox for like four seasons called Boston Public. Oh yeah. Yep. He was a teacher on it from seasons two to two through the end of the end of season four mm-hmm. that's where i remember him most uh, most from and i really enjoyed him on that show i really enjoyed that show i feel like i'm one of like five people who enjoyed <laughs> i remember when it was remember on that show i watch a lot of it but i remember when it was on but yeah no i i am never offended that he shows up in a in one of his 120 credits <laughs> yeah he's a very i feel like he's a very um hot or cold type of actor he's a kind of guy that people generally don't have no opinion on there's people who generally either really like him as an actor or people who absolutely cannot stand him and really don't like when he shows up in things but i will say in this i think it's pretty much universally regarded he's really good in this in this yeah episode i um, could see the heavy accent that he has throwing yes. people one way or the other yeah he has a, uh, and he doesn't do it as much in this episode but in other things that he's in and in, and in his just general speaking voice he does kind of a little bit of the like affectation thing in his voice where he like really puts on the accent and really like it, it comes off almost as a little phony but yeah uh, i i recognize him from hitch okay yeah. yep and also for our wrestling fans which is me and daniel and a little bit lizzie he has also done voice work for wwe 365 on the episode for kevin owens and aj styles okay sure Just, right uh, but yeah, he appeared in stuff like the movie Deep Blue Sea, True Romance, and Beautiful Girls, uh, among many others, as Leslie said, 120 credits to his name. And he's going to be kind of our main A patient for this whole episode. 
then we get Carter is headed over to where Chase is currently being homed. And we find out Gamma is there, I think, along with like one of their lawyers or something. Mm-hmm. It's never explicitly stated, but they are taking Chase out of the home. And they think his condition is declining and he can't use his left side anymore. And that really any further rehabilitation here isn't going to do him much good. So Carter insists that Chase can, in fact, use his left hand if forced. And Carter goes in to be with Chase and tries to get him to draw with his left hand in front of Gamma to no avail. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to see Carter with Chase and just, he's trying so hard for his cousin. And it's like... Okay, go back to Michael Rapport for one second. Yep. <laughs> apparently he, apparently he was, there's another connection here. He was in his acting, his first television credit is in China Beach. Okay, well, oh. that would explain how he got in, I guess. Good catch. I didn't even catch that when I yeah. was... Just a one-off appearance. And then we go back to... Speaking... Here, this was perfect. Speaking of Michael Rappaport, we're going back to the trauma with Paul Cantera, and I need to say whose films are those. Uh, the calcium can be drawn out of the cells because of the fluoride in the hydrofluoric acid, and they have him in a calcium drip to try and reverse this chemical reaction. Uh, he says he has no family in Chicago, which we'll come back to later. And... Um, I think it's Elizabeth says, you know, like, call me later if his leg worsens. And yeah. Mark says, it's not his leg I'm worried about. Hey. Never a good sign. This, Doesn't this well. is a huge bummer. Like, this whole yeah. storyline is yeah. a huge bummer. Ugh. And it's not, like one of, it's not like one of those, like, something like one of the other. I'm trying to think. Ah, oh, fuck. I can't remember the name of the episode now. With the one with the... With the dude from West Wing in season one, I cannot remember. Oh, Love's Labor Lost. Yeah, I was gonna say it doesn't start. It doesn't start off all yeah. fine and dandy and happy like it does in Love's Labor Lost. It's just a bummer from start to finish. Yeah, we already know something ain't right. Kind yeah. of, kind of is. Yeah, still, still a very good performance though. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. Important distinction. Like I like his performance. I like what they do with his storyline specifically, but it is kind of just a sad. It's 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 not a storyline that peaks and valleys. It's pretty much sad from the beginning, and then it only gets sadder. But um, we go from there to uh, Peter showing up at Reese's baptism, and he gets he meets up with Jackie and his niece and nephew. I wasn't sure at first the dynamic of who we we were talking to here, whether this was like his niece and maybe his niece or his nephew and his girlfriend, or because right. for one thing, we haven't seen Jackie's kids in a while, right? Forever, yeah. Um. And I don't really remember because they didn't appear super often in season one, but I don't remember them being, it seems like they've aged up a lot in the last three years. <laughs> like yeah. they've gone from being like small children to now they're basically like in their mid twenties. It looks like they're very, I would say, I would say mid teens, but I mean yes. the, the, the age of specifically his niece, she's in her late twenties here yeah. and she's playing somebody who, yeah, probably conceivably could be late teens, but um, the nephew here uh, is played Stephen. So correct me if I'm wrong, or or refresh my memory. I guess Lizzie is Stephen the nephew that the thing happens to in no, a few seasons. I I need to say I love that you deferred right to Lizzie because you knew I'd have yeah, no idea I which gonna, one it was. I wasn't even going <laughs> to. So it's not. Nah. So Stephen is not the nephew, right? No, that's. I think I'm pretty sure that's Jesse, and then mm-hmm. that okay. girl. The girl that's with them is not the the girl that's with them is not Tiny. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. So this is the the not the nephew of Benton's that will become important much later on. Um, 
This is Steven, and this is his, la- again, from the, like, why did they bother department, because he doesn't look the same at all, and is, like we said, aged up dramatically, but um, Mark Dakota Robinson is the actor here, and he's playing Steven, and he actually is making his final appearance as Steven after making three appearances as him back in season one. Why bother? Like, why did you go through the trouble to go back and get the same kid from three years ago to have him come back and play him for ten seconds? Why not? I guess why not, but... The bigger story here is his niece, uh, who doesn't get a name here, uh, but she is played by a much more recognizable actress, Taraji P. Mm-hmm. Henson. Making I love her. One of her. It was not her first film acting role or uh, film or television screen role, but it was one of her earliest ones. Hmm. Uh, and she appears in. She actually will be reappearing very soon, like er, first five episodes of season five uh, soon as a different character. Um, and she also appeared in movies like Benjamin Button, Hidden Figures, and Hustle and Flow. So I I need to rewatch Benjamin Button, and I need to see Hidden Figures. Yeah, yeah. I just thought that I was like, is that Taraji P Henson? And not like it was so strange to like be like, yes, that's her, and also too, this is her only appearance as this character, and she'll be back in like five episodes as a completely different character. It's very weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, Empire is the show where a lot of people would know her yeah. from. Yeah, too, TV where she plays a big role from TV. Yeah, Empire for sure. But yeah, they're all here to do the rehearsal for Reese's baptism. Did did we mention why he's he's out front chatting with his niece and nephew? What they're what they're giving him shit about? Oh, because uh, he didn't bring his girlfriend. Uh, which yep. I don't understand. Like, because based on the the clothing at the beginning of the episode uh, that Benton's wearing, I'm pretty sure that this episode takes place immediately following the last one. Well, I think it's because Jackie had seen them out oh, walking around yeah, by the museum. Right. Yeah, you're right. And she's like, oh, but Peter's not often that generous with his time. And so Jackie's probably been at home talking shit. And because one of the kids says like, oh, you know, grandma would be rolling over in her grave. Yeah. Likely in, Mama in, um, in allusion to the interracial aspect of the relationship. Ugh, yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to point that out, that already the family tension is beginning about Elizabeth. Yikes. And it is, and I looked it up, it is Jesse. It, is Jesse the is nephew. the nephew. The nephew. Okay. <laughs> yeah, is the nephew, yeah. But we're going back to, uh, well, we're going back to our lovely, our, our the most heartwarming storyline in this episode. Paul. Heart, uh, heart is a poor choice of words for oh, what happens. Oh, <laughs> didn't even think of that. Uh, yeah, and Paul is basically the guy from Clerks. I wasn't even supposed to be here today. I need to keep a tally of how often they use that line because it's it's been two this season alone, I believe. Yeah. yeah, Paul was not even supposed to be at work today, and he says it's hurting under his skin, mm. which yeah can't be good. Uh, Mark and Carrie are chatting off to the side, uh, away from Paul, and he's hypocalcemic, and the leg is necrotic. Lovely, lovely set of adjectives to describe things going on in your body, um, and because hydrofluor, yeah, hydrofluoric acid burns this severe are always fatal according to uh toxicology i think i think it's i think it's carrie did some research on it to try and figure out what the treatment prognosis and course of action is gotcha and they were like yep this is what we should be doing but there's not really much we can do they just gotta yeah just gotta tell them there's really nothing they can do for him except make him comfortable so mark tells him he's gonna start having heart failure due to due to the chemical reaction and actually actually explains Here's why you're dying, because turns out your your heart cells need calcium, not calcium sulfate. Yeah, and apparently, like they'll crystallize without it. Mm-hmm. It's science is weird. The human body is a dumpster fire. <laughs> um, 
And the dude maybe has maybe 12 hours before he dies. Yeah, and the guy's like, he's just like, it hurts, it just don't feel like I'm dying. Like, the the Northeastern accent is mm-hmm. in full effect. Carol is wrapping, wrapping the burns as best she can and treating him to make him more comfortable. And he has a daughter, but he doesn't think that the daughter will come. Daughter's very small. Six and a half, I yeah. think. Yes. Yeah, so not no, a, not, no agency of her own. Yeah, no, not able to to come of her own free will. And I think he said, yeah. I think he says he hasn't seen her in six years. So presumably yeah. he walked out yeah. when she was a small infant. So, yep. Uh, this kind of has like a little bit of flavors of like uh, a lesser version of the Ray Liotta episode that we'll get down the line. Like the time of death. A little bit. Cause it's kind of like bit. one patient in the trauma room, slowly dying throughout the course of the episode. Daddy. Well, parental issues you know he's like separated from his kid like kind of has a little bit of those same vibes i do like the ray liotta one more though oh, because yeah. of just the cool cinematography things that they do with like the flash with like the guy hallucinate the guy's hallucinations in that episode when he's near death for sure yeah the ray liotta one really is cool. that that's in my top 10 of for the entire series i love yeah, time of death that episode is amazing uh but for now we go from there we see doyle actually getting to do something for an episode. What a change. Whoa. Uh, she is with the EMTs pulling in another patient who fell 75 feet from the train bridge into the river. And Jeannie's working this trauma with her. He's fully conscious. Uh, we get our second, Lauren. Whose films are those? Uh, they're asking for a psych consult because they think he jumped, uh, but he's adamant that he was just fooling around with his buddies, had a couple beers, and uh, fell off, and he's got a couple ankle fractures. And we don't... Can I point out we don't see this patient again? Yeah, this is this is one they completely lose track of, and they largely kind of lose track of Doyle and Jeannie both after this. Like, Doyle is around a little bit and does a little bit of some stuff um, kind of expositionally, and Jeannie, I think, kind of runs into the room once and does one thing and then is gone. So it's Which, Jeannie, I'm okay with because, you know, we've just had this long-running kind of heavy duty storyline with Jeannie. I'm, I'm fine with her getting a little bit of a cooling off period as a character, but Doyle, it's like, God damn, give Doyle something to do. She's just standing there. So keeping the queers down, man, I'm telling you. Yep. And then Carol tells Mark that Paul wants to see his daughter after all, but Mark needs to head home for some sleep. And he talks to Carrie. Um, he's waiting for an ICU bed for Paul. Carrie is going to take the case over from there. So Mark can head home. And Carrie is also working with an older woman with complaints of a flu. And she's been feeling off for about a month. And she's been exhausted planning her own wedding. Yeah, and our our elderly couple here, Daniel and Loretta. Uh, Daniel, played by actor Stefan Garash, who appeared in stuff like Jeremiah Johnson, Carrie, and High Plains Drifter, among many other things, 127 credits to his name. Uh, Unfortunately, he passed away in 2014. And Loretta is played by actress Janet Rotblatt, who appeared in stuff like The Craft, Heart and Souls, and Shoot to Kill. Then uh, probably the weirdest uh, storyline of the episode starts up here. Uh, Doris brings in a pedestrian versus Otto. Carter runs it, and someone hit this patient's wheelchair. It's suspected that he has cerebral palsy. He has severely impaired speech, um, and it's hard to evaluate because they don't know his baseline. And this person is actually... Is is actually disabled? Thank God, yes. (laughs) Because as I was watching this, I was like, man, I really hope this person actually is disabled because I'm just 
cringing at the thought of some actor trying to like affect cerebral palsy to especially to this degree uh but thankfully yes it was an actual disabled person uh neil marcus who's certainly by no means defined by his disability he's many other things uh chief among them a playwright um and this is his this is his one and only screen acting credit um but he's written and performed in several plays of his own um in new york um and he's also a uh published disability advocate like he had several um newsletters and stuff that he published all about uh making performing arts and stuff more accessible for uh disabled folks so oh that's cool yeah neat you'll love to see you'll love to see stuff like that yeah with with that level of like hindsight uh applied i i like the storyline better than i would have if it was yeah. the opposite, you know, if it was a, if it was an actor just trying to affect a disability, I don't think I would like the storyline as much. And yeah. I, yeah. And I will always applaud any show whatsoever for like, if the person has cerebral palsy or mm-hmm. has downs or has, or is trans American horror story. Yeah. Or whatever descriptor that you want. That's, you know, that, could be played by a cis that could be played by a cis actor but it just wouldn't have the same effect right. i always applaud people who actually use people who are trans who are you know who have down yeah etc etc so good on you er yeah uh then benton comes in to chat with lizzie and do post-op notes and Lizzie is thirsty as heck for his baptism rehearsal outfit. He does look very, does look very handsome. But she says she can't unfortunately stay around and talk because she does have a lunch that she has to go to with Romano. (sighs) And then Carol breaks the news that Paul's ex-wife is not going to bring his daughter Molly. And Carter grabs Carrie to help with the pedestrian patient because he has no clue how to evaluate this guy and Doyle and Carter both fight over the portable x-ray for their patients, which is pretty much like the last we get of Doyle this episode. And we get another trauma coming in, uh, this time not by paramedics, but a little boy comes in, he's been hit by a car and is unconscious. His dad drove him in and they're going to do a peritoneal lavage and we'll come back to him in just a minute. And it's also suspected that dad drove over him before bringing. Oh, I thought that was, I thought that was, uh, like he said, Oh no, I accidentally hit him. And then they no, it's right here. And then they say, "Did you did you go over yeah. him?" He says, "Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I think I might have." Yeah, I think it was like he's washing his car or something, and then maybe moved it and didn't like lost track of the kid or something. And gotcha, real fucked up stuff. Um, but we go back to to Paul where he's asking Carol uh, to arrange to get a couple of thousand from his savings uh, to Molly. Uh, so she says that she'll work with getting a a notary involved to get all that set up. We go back to Marty, the little boy, uh, and his lavage is positive for internal bleeding, so he's going to need surgery. Uh, And then quickly back over to Carol, who has Connie cover for her so uh, that she can go out and run an errand. So presumably she's going to go out and do the stuff with the notary, or that's at least what we're led to believe. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what she's actually doing later. That's definitely what I put in the notes at first and then had to go back and correct it once we saw what actually happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially because they make they make a lot of references to the fact that it's Sunday. Mm, yes, do they? they do. Yeah. Especially in the front half of the episode, they do. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I thought. She was yeah, because you can't probably don't have a notary on staff on a Sunday. So anyway, but uh, let's go to our first audio of the episode. Uh, Cordae and Romano are at. I always think it's Doc Magoo's, but it's actually Doc Magoo because we actually see the menus. <laughs> 
in the scene, which is really weird. And also Romano looking 90s fly. I want one of these menus hung on our walls art. That would, it, that would be a cool thing this? to have. Yeah, a cool prop thing to have. That would be. We can look on eBay after we're done. I would even take a like replica print or something off Etsy, but I want one of these for, okay. for the office. All right, but let's listen to their conversation. Turkey burger, please. No onions. What kind of uh, salad dressings do you have? Caesar ranch, Italian, local Italian, blue cheese, honey mustard, Catalina oil and vinegar, and poppy seed vinaigrette. All of the soup. So, enjoying your year? It's been educational. Mm, I bet. Thoughts of staying come fall? I've entertained the idea. Good. Is that what you wanted to talk about? No, no, not exactly. Must I guess? <sighs> well, there's no way to say this but flat out, so here goes. Lizzie? Our relationship has not moved in a direction I would have liked. Now, partly that's because I have trouble communicating these types of feelings, but the fact is, I find you very attractive. Now, uh, no, 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 let me, uh, let me finish. Now, I don't know what your long-term plans are, and uh, I'm not foolish enough to think that uh, colleagues can have a romantic involvement without uh, entanglements, but we obviously have a lot of common interests, and we share the same insane schedule, and uh, it makes sense. So I would really like you to consider um, a date going out with me on a date. What do you say? I'm flattered uh, and shocked. Really? I would have thought you could see right through me. No, no, not at all. Uh, however, um, seeing as I, I do work for you, I don't think it would be such a good idea. Oh. Uh, not that under other circumstances, Oh, 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 I see. You, you, you have a policy. Yeah, yes. No I fraternization do, do. Uh, with people at work. Oh, well, okay. I respect that. Uh, just pretend I never said anything. I'm sorry. No, hey. Oh, uh, uh, I had to give it a shot. <laughs> you know what's funny? For a while there, uh, I really thought I was competing with Peter Benton. <laughs> huh. So yikes! I, I do have to give Romano credit with how he voices this. It's one of the most respectful moments we will ever see him be in the whole show. It's still not great because he's her superior and there's that power imbalance, which isn't okay. Yeah. But as far as Romano goes and how shitty we can see him be, this is almost saint like for him. And I'm very proud of I'm very proud of little baby Romano for how he handles this one. I'll say yeah. he, he does clear that incredibly low bar. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, I'll I'll take it. When it's Romano, I'll take it. <sighs> yeah, just yikes. Yeah, just like how do you like where do you go from there in a lunch? Like where how do you? Yeah, because they. What is the rest of that meal like? They still need their food. They just got their tea. Uh, the tea is apparently a big uh, point of contention for a lot of people because there was we had two comments about it in the the listener response. Really? Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm excited to get to it. Does it have to do with the epiphany that Lizzie and I had about the tea I don't, in our notes? I think it had more to do with the fact that Romano just immediately drinks his without letting it oh, steep right. or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a tea drinker, so I couldn't. Okay. I, I don't know the etiquette. So as somebody who often orders tea in restaurants, 
you get the variety of loose leaf that already comes in the pretty pots. Mm -hmm. Great. You get the ones like this where it comes with the bag and the hot water. Awesome. What I normally do, because I'm a heathen, is I will put the tea bag in the cup, pour the hot water on it, let it steep in the cup. The ingenious thing that these two do that is forever going to change how I handle <laughs> my hot tea orders is they put their tea in the hot water receptacles to then pour into their cups. And that blew my mind. It's one of those things that's so obvious once you see it. But I was like, well, damn. Shook. Shook. I am woke. <laughs> so now I will forever have to get hot tea and do it this way. We both looked at each other when they did that and we were like, huh. Okay. That's certainly a choice. <laughs> we're, we're, we're idiots. Great. But yeah, also, ugh, Lipton. <laughs> that's, hey, that's the other big if, takeaway. If you're going to go to a cheap shit, I was going to say, what else are you expecting Dot Wiggers to have? Get. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my Sanka decaf coffee over Lipton any day. See, because I've been watching so much Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul lately, I'm just picturing uh, Lydia uh, yep. doing her little, like, do you have this kind of tea? tea ritual? And the waitress of a very similar place to Doc Magoo's being like, no, no, right. no, no, we don't have that. Like, no. And her just getting. Lipton's fine. Yeah, Lipton's fine. Oh. Am I missing something? Was Lydia in Breaking Bad? Yeah. Not our Lydia. <laughs> very different Lydia. Oh. No, 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 no. Lydia, the super anal retentive woman who partners <gasps> oh, with them. Okay. Although now I, I kind of like, want Ellen second. Crawford to play that part now. <laughs> um, Yes. That would be much better. I mean, she, the other lady's fine, but, you know, I just would like to see Ellen Crawford in more things. Always. It's true. Can you imagine Ellen Crawford and the guy who plays Mike <laughs> in a series together? How do we get How yes. do we get Mike to play Mike in Breaking Bad? <laughs> like, let's, oh, my God. Let, let's have that... Uh, that uh, the, you got your Marvel show coming up, your What If. Let's have a What If ER universe where we just, okay. where we just substitute we ER bit players into other famous roles. I... You know what? Sign it, get, see, sign it, seal it, send it to Warner Brothers. Let's Daniel, get it made. You do know at 3 a.m. in the collab chat tonight, you are now getting <laughs> a one-to-one recasting of Mad Men, right? Oh, with exclusively ER act Because there's a lot of e- I don't with, know if you know. There, I mean, I'm sure you know some of them, but there's a lot of ER bleed over into Mad Men. There's yeah, quite a yeah. few. Yeah, I'll I'll see what I can do. Wait, really? Yeah. Ant's paws in there. Um, I knew that. I'm trying to, I'm um, trying to, Mark's dad. Mark's dad. Yeah. Um, which we talked about oh, on here. Oh yeah, he's the lucky strike guy. Yeah. Yep. There's and there's definitely more. Like there's I'm just can't think of them. And there's a lot of, of like guest stars that. How do we go from over. T to talking about Mad Men? I don't know, man. Uh, Breaking Bad, fan casting, <laughs> Mad Men. We can always bring it back to Mad Men. It's what we're great at. That's true. But then we go back. Carter is examining his John Doe patient, and again, he has no idea how to examine him without even hurting him. Um, eventually we find out that his hand has a bad laceration and Anna comes in and together Anna and Carter have no idea how to get further information or medical history or anything from him because they don't know how to work with a seemingly nonverbal patient with a disability. So this is great because it shows some very large gaps in medical training, which Anna even makes a joke about where she's like, bet they didn't teach you this in medical school. (laughs) So just... hmm. Which comes back to bite them both in the ass later, and I love it. Yeah. The older woman with the flu has atypical pneumonia, uh, according to Carrie, which could have potentially been given to her by her fiance's falcon. You know what we you you know the name. You know him. You love him. Sinbad. Do we though? Star- 
I mean, I love Jingle All the Star Way. Star of that, That's f- that famous genie movie from the 90s that everyone remembers. It's not. <laughs> Sasa Tuma. Wait, but wrong movie. Um, or is it? Uh, but it can be treated with antibiotics. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor. Something very different. Something something very weird. Well, not weird, but something very different. Unexpected. But, yeah. Thank so you. Then we go over to Lizzie and Benton in the OR, and she's talking to him, and he's kind of like giving her some ice, and she's like, well, I was just simply asking. And he goes, you don't simply do anything, Elizabeth. Damn. And he's just being super weird with her all of a sudden with no clear reasoning. Just super territorial and grumpy. Boys are dumb. <laughs> um, and then Carol is looking for Paul's ex-wife and finds her um, doing some bus tour, like leaflet handouts and everything, right by the Wrigley Building and London House on Michigan and Wacker, which is right by those bridges that I always send you pictures from, Daniel. Yeah, so apparently, according to ER Geography, the wife was like 50 feet from the Right, hospital. yeah. This yeah. is where they always go out to get their hot dogs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Just little... It was across the bridge. She wasn't on the side that they're normally on. Yeah. She was She was on the other side. She was on the side that I would get off the bus. Um, but yeah, Carol's trying to get the, wife, the ex-wife, Sandy, to come to the hospital with Molly. And Sandy's like, I'm not going to. I can't. I'm not going to. He chose this for himself. And then she has to, like, get on the bus to go with the tour. So that's... That's that. That's that. Molly's not coming. And the the ex-wife here, Sandy, is played by actress Amy Farrington, who had recurring roles on TV series SWAT, Glow, and Scandal. Who was she on Glow? You'd have to check. I'm not sure. Like it's been so this long is, since this... I've watched Glow, I w- would struggle to have any name recognition for any of like that was a show that I really liked but completely lost track of, and then before I knew it, it was gone. So you have you finished both seasons? Uh, I finished at least I know season one for sure, and I think we maybe finished season two, but I there's three seasons, right? So. Two, I think. No, there's three. There's three. Yeah, I knew yeah. there was a third season, but I can't remember if we finished two or not. I know we didn't see three. Oh, she was on Private Practice. Ooh, there you go. And Grey's Anatomy. Ooh, different character. Getting to glow. Sorry, Mallory. Okay, I don't remember that character. Not not anyway. one of the main ones. Let me keep derailing us. <laughs> we go from there uh, back to the admin desk where Carrie is looking for Carol and Chuni and Connie cover for her, saying that she had some admin admin stuff to do upstairs uh, with payroll. So, which another Sunday comment here? This one I do remember. Yeah. Um. And but before Carrie can get too suspicious, she gets distracted by uh, her elderly patient having a positive HIV test, which Carrie did not mean to order but that it makes complete sense with all of her symptoms. Uh, And this is important because uh, since she didn't uh, get the consent to do an HIV test, she cannot order a redo of the test without also getting consent. So it's like she's already in a gray area, and it it would only dig her deeper into that gray area going to um, get get the consent to do a, a retest. So it's very... Very touch and go situation for Carrie here, and and this is I think this is again Doyle too. This is where Doyle has kind of mm-hmm. shifted from having something of her own to do to now she's just providing expositional dialogue for Carrie's. Yep. I'm really like that's been one of my biggest takeaways from season four has been the complete 
loss of Maggie Doyle as a character, like having any agency as a character. Like she has just completely fallen off the face of the earth as any kind of meaningful character. And she was actually one of the like high spots of season three. And she's just been completely relegated to the background here. And it kind of sucks. She's just been spending all of her time at the gun range. I guess so. Yep. Uh, but Doug is working is now working with a baby who has been on methadone since birth. Fun. Uh, seven months. It's really tough. According to Doug, it's tough on the neurological development of of an infant, and uh, he thinks mom is still using and maybe breastfeeding him while stone. Um, is it on meth? I think, or is it heroin? I don't think it's. Yeah, sure. I don't think it's ever specified. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Doug suspects that she's been taking the child's methadone, and that's why the baby's going through withdrawal. Actually, now that I now that I think about it, I think it is heroin because I think he I think yeah. he says to Anna a little bit later that the baby's going through heroin withdrawal. Fun times. Yeah, and she's like, I can't get it anywhere else until like tomorrow or whatever. And he goes, Well, you know, the baby needs a dose, or it's like he's gonna go through some shit. And then John Doe manages to give Carter and Anna his phone number by um he communicates ring like telephone and then he bangs his feet on the bed for the first like number to get to give the digits so he's able to start conveying a phone number to them and not be a john doe much longer yeah which good job two med students you finally put your heads out of your asses and came (laughs) up with something useful and then Benton goes to tell Marty's dad about his status. He is alive and stable, but they had to complete a splenectomy in order to stabilize him. But the dad's like, but but he'll be fine, right? And Benton's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sorry. I should have led with that. Like, Benton's yeah. very clumsily. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's alive. He's good. But we had to take out his splen- Benton does sort of come in with the, like, hands clasped sort of, like, bad news mm-hmm. posture, you know? And the dad is very like nervous about the whole situation, obviously because he's responsible, but like just in general. Uh, and we didn't mention earlier, the dad here is played by um, Kieran Mulroney, who is the younger mm. brother of actor Dermot Mulroney. Uh, and he, this guy is most famous for being a writer rather than an actor. Um, he wrote the 2017 Power Rangers movie and the Ooh. Sherlock Holmes game of shadows, which I, not up on my modern Sherlock Holmes adaptations. Not sure if that's one of the good ones. I know that's a series that has had kind of an up and down life cycle. I'm trash and I enjoy the Robert Downey Jr. ones. I know that most people don't like them, but I think they're fun. Yeah. And the 2017 Power Rangers movie is the best Power Rangers it's, movie ever. It slaps it's, so hard. It's pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm sad that they're probably not going to do the sequel that was teased. No, it's it's getting uh, rebooted. Or they're going to do another reboot. Yeah, that's, that's a shame because it, it, it was Which way is, better than I yeah. had any... Uh, any, yeah, like right to be like I, I kind of went into we it had... with one eye open like oh this is gonna be bad I just didn't like the level the, the only my only gripe about it as a huge Power Rangers fan from childhood my only gripe about it was I did not like the look of the suits I thought right. the suits were dumb the plastic I thought the suits were really dumb looking but other than that if they'd have just had better looking suits I think it would have been a probably like a plus movie for me we had so much fun in the theater for that yeah. movie also I need to tell you both Lizzie we can't do fun ER watches anymore because i for a second i was like why haven't we talked about jim belushi yet because <laughs> oh, like we were watching yeah yeah i got my wires crossed for a second and i was like what the, why aren't we talking nope a couple episodes clearly there, what, couple what that means later, is that there. we're overdue for a flash forward and we need to just do that just, and get yeah, jim just belushi out throw, of your system okay throw me on a flash forward daniel we'll make it happen so 
but but we, we go from there um uh, we see carrie finally talking to the elderly couple that they need to do another hiv aids test because of the advanced type of pneumonia she's experiencing and then tells her that they have already tested her positive on accident which obviously is very confusing to them and the fiance daniel pulls Ugh. carrie aside and says tells her to just give her something for the to the for the pneumonia and then let us go uh and carrie is kind of rightfully thrown off by this and she's like well she needs treatment you know this could be very serious whatever you know you need to get tested yourself and he's like whoa we're not talking about me all right so it's never spelled out in plain english but we're left to believe that you know he's obviously positive and has not told her and has now transmitted it to her and this is where we leave this this seems like a very like kind of maybe we'd want to dig into this a little bit more or maybe have some follow-up nope it just goes away and we never talk about it again so daniel hmm. because he was just vaguely sort of like being like oh no you tested her illegally yeah yeah we kind of yeah he kind of like vaguely threatens her a little bit and is like well we don't i don't want to have to report you or whatever so it seems like the kind of thing that we could have maybe done at least two episodes on like maybe bring these people back and do a little something with nope nope never gonna talk about this again Uh, and then carol goes in to check on paul he tried to call he had tried calling molly last fall to nope to poor results yep and then anna brings in our john doe's caregiver and she's saying how glad she is that they called her the patient's name is mr lorenzo and she goes, yeah, the accent can be a little hard to understand at first. And Carter looks at her and goes, accent? She goes, yeah. And then we hear him say, I got stuck with the rejects. <laughs> and this this woman is Catherine Dunlop. She's not a caregiver. She is his personal assistant. And um, she says, she's, um, he says that they're slow, but I'll forgive them. And we find out that he's one of the world's leading experts on hieroglyphics and that he knows like eight languages. And because Carter at one point says to her, like, oh, you'll have to tell him, blah, 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 blah. Can he understand that? And she goes, you just did tell him. He speaks English. Speaks it's English, one of his eight. La- it's one of his eight. Ing- one of his eight languages. Idiot. He has cerebral palsy. He's not deaf. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus Christ, Carter. Some wonderful ableism in this whole episode. Jesus. But but I like that their ableism is the butt of the joke and not the right. person's disability, which is so frequently the reverse in situations like this where yeah. the, the person's disability is the butt of the joke. And it's like, oh, isn't this so wacky that we have to deal with this disabled person? No, it's that it's that yeah. he's perfectly capable of explaining all of his symptoms and they're just too stupid to pick up on it. Right. And then I love, I think he's, I think he calls Carter an idiot or something. And Carter goes, now that I understood. <laughs> it's something like yeah. that. And it's really cute. And so it shows that like Carter and Anna take it in stride that they're like, yeah, we're the ones who fucked up yeah. on this. So this is one of the great examples of ER doing something right. Yeah. And uh, let's go to our next audio clip. I know it's been a little light this episode, but don't worry. Our ch- typical end of episode flurry is coming here. Uh, so let's start. Uh, Gamma has shown up looking for Carter. Gamma? Oh, John. I'm sorry to bother you at work. What's wrong? Uh, I'm not happy the way we left things earlier. Do you have a moment? Uh, yeah, sure. What's it now? No, thank you. John, I respect your opinion. If you think we should keep Chase at the Institute, I'll support that. I can't guarantee you that it's going to make any difference, but... 
I'm not ready to give up on him. I never intend to. Neither do I. Well, I'm glad we've got that straightened out. Me too. John, I understand the freedom that comes with financial independence. But money or not, we're still your family. I know. You were always your grandfather's first choice. He's much too proud to come to you now, but he'd really like you to come to him. What are you asking me? Finish your residency if you must. You can always practice medicine part-time. But your family needs you, John. We need you to run the business. I don't know. Please, think about it. No, no, I don't need to think about it. Gamma, I can't. I'm a doctor. It's all that I've ever wanted to be since... Since your brother died. Since I was a kid. And there's nothing else for me. You really love it that much? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Forgive me for asking. I... I had to try. I'll expect to see you at your grandfather's birthday dinner. You will. I always wondered what you'd be like when you grew up. So first off, I have to say that coffee pour ASMR, <laughs> chef's kiss. Also, um, I love how she's just like, oh, you can practice it part time, like a hobby. I, I, I still am like, I want to know what like astronomical fifth dimension level of rich the Carter family is that they look down on him practicing medicine as this like this like this peasant lifestyle like you must give this up child like how fucking rich are these people that being a doctor is not good enough for them like that's just well it's because it's not in the business which we also what the hell does their business even beyond the foundation i I don't know that we ever find out i was gonna say i was actually just watching i just watched the series finale the other day just as i was getting shit set up around the apartment i had it on the Carter money comes from oil. Oh no, that's the darkest timeline. <laughs> so, uh, so that's why Car- so that's why Carter is like the ill-begotten gains of my forefathers uh, when he when he says he spent it all on the Carter sent on the Joshua I mean, Carter. That's good for him for breaking the cycle, but yikes. Huh. So we have Anna checking in on Doug's baby patient who is crying nonstop because the mother is gone and this baby has been left alone in this room. And Doug tells her what happened, and Anna says, well, maybe maybe she did do the right thing by leaving. And just what a cute little baby. What a cute little baby. What a fat little <laughs> nugget. So that's the end of yeah. that. Baby's fine. Baby's going to get taken into custody. Yeah, kind and... of a stubby stubby little storyline. Like, it, it, it starts yeah. about halfway through There's... the episode, and it's finished within ten minutes. There's a lot of those fragmentary mm-hmm. ones this episode. Yeah. Uh, and let's go over to our next audio, then. Uh, it's just some back and forth between Paul and Carol. This was really the only one that was more than like the more than like 30 seconds to a minute long. So give it a little time to breathe. So let's listen in. How much longer? It's hard to tell. Please. Not long. I'm scared. I won't leave you. Do you have things you wish you'd do different? 
doesn't everybody? You should fix it if you can. Maybe. Do you want me to read you back the letter? Dear Molly, you don't know me. I'm your father. I suppose I shouldn't even call myself that. You're the best thing I ever did with my life. Leaving you was the worst. God knows I haven't done much for you while I was alive. But if there's a place called heaven and they let me in, I promise to always look over you. Please forgive me. I'm sorry I never got to know you. Me too. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> this is a very good moment. Yeah, yeah. This is also this is also a good reminder of peak nurse Carol. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't we haven't seen her be a stunning nurse in a few episodes. This is a good reminder of what, how she's so amazing. So since this is essentially the the end of the Paul storyline here, where do we fall on it? Re uh, the ex wife bringing the daughter or not? Like because the the ex wife I feel like makes a very compelling case for why she shouldn't involve the daughter in it and. He also makes a very compelling case for wanting to, you know, make amends and, you know, close that chapter appropriately and everything. So I, I feel like it does present kind of a a, a good ethical dilemma. I, I feel like both sides have valid points. So where do we fall on it kind of as a group? Yeah, I think it's kind of six and one, half a dozen of the, half a dozen of the other, personally. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Yeah. I'm not going to say she's a piece of shit for not bringing her daughter because that's easy to say, oh, they pull on our heartstrings and we should immediately say, but he's dying. Mm-hmm. You should go see him. But at the same time, like, if she hasn't seen him in six years of her six and a half right. years. To me, to me, that just seems like, like unnecessary trauma. Right. Yeah, like, exactly. have him leave her the beautiful letter, have him leave her the cash, and depart peacefully knowing he's done what he can without her having to come and see these horrifying burns. Right. Of this strange man that she's met, like, when she was six months right, old. Right, yeah. And, and... You know, at best, even, you know, like I said, it's at six and a half, like she might have vague memories of this as an adult or she might have flashbulb memories. It seems like the kind of thing that is just ripe for like trauma that not 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 just like garden variety trauma, but the kind of trauma that would like pop up out of nowhere and just all of a sudden all the images come rushing back to you and it completely debilitates a person. Yeah, I'm I'm just going to say I I think mom. Yeah, fine. I do, too. I, I yeah, as I was it's... watching it, like I said, the, clearly the, the narrative that they're playing at here like they, they clearly want you to be on paul's side a little bit yeah but they also it's pretty nuanced like they, they, they don't they don't really com- make it clear that they want you to feel one way or another they, they do do a good job of presenting both sides it's it's kind of like the abortion episode they're clear enough in what they want you to be feeling mm-hmm. without rubbing your face yeah. in it like you can make your own decision based on your. And own I like that they did that too, because I feel like a lesser show would have just dis- made the ex-wife out to be a heartless bitch, and which they do with they some do with some characters. Anyway, they they're but... very guilty of it in other instances, but in this one, I do feel like they did a good job of making it clear that no, she has valid reasons for maybe not wanting to involve expose her daughter to that, 
at a very young, right. impressionable, sensitive age. And, you know, it wasn't also too like it wasn't like she took the kid and ran off. He walked out, too. So, like, there's yeah. a, there was just it's a very complicated, very sad situation. And there's very nuanced. There's there's lots, yeah, a lot to unpack. Uh, so let's keep the audio train rolling on to our next one. Uh, next clip. Um, let's go up to the roof where uh, Corday finds Peter. I'm going to start to worry about you. First, you work on a holiday. Now I find you alone, standing out here in the dark. What are you doing out here? Looking for you. Well, you found me. I have to admit that brooding veneer is part of your appeal, but I thought I'd broken through most of it. Uh, I'm supposed to be at Carla's restaurant celebrating my son's baptism. I see. And you're here because? Mm. I don't want to feel like an intruder, you know? Like I have to share my son with Carla's boyfriend. Do you? I mean, he gets to spend all the time with him, you know? How do I compete with that? You're his father, Peter. You don't have to compete. Then I thought I'd come and see you, but, you know, you had that lunch thing. So. Are you jealous? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, your instincts were right. Romano propositioned me. Are you serious? What did you say? I lied. Said I don't date colleagues. It's cowardly of me, I know. Well, that's okay. I lied today, too. What about me? Mm -hmm. So much for a relationship without complications. You know what? Screw it. Come on, let's go. Where? To the party. Still time. Peter, you don't have to prove anything to me. Elizabeth, I know that. Look, I just want to go, okay? Well, then you should go. You should go alone for your son. This is his day. <sighs> yeah, you're right. Okay, thanks. Listen, um, if it's not too late. Hey, listen, I'll be out. Are you yeah. kidding? Um, one thing I wanted to ask. She says, first I find you working on a holiday. What? Just on a Sunday, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. Or maybe it's be a holiday a holiday for Benton because he because it's his son's baptism. Chalk it up know. to Britishism. So personal, yeah, okay. personal day. Ben took a personal day sometimes. One thing that we neglected to mention when we were talking about the baptism earlier was how we got our next appearance of Roger. And how that yep. played heavily into the whole thing of like, this is the first time, one of the first real times that Benton feels kind of territorial about Reese with Roger, especially since when the priest comes out to introduce mm -hmm. himself and get everything set up, he mistakenly identifies Roger as the father. And so yep. that creates kind of a whole thing with Benton. And, you know, it's, it's only going to get messier from here, unfortunately. Fair. And there's an actor switch and a custody it's a whole fight. Thing. It's just all. It's a whole thing. But uh, then we see Carter out on the street uh, walking with a bag of cookies. <laughs> like I didn't know what he was eating at first, but then he like offers it to Anna and he's like, would you like some cookies? So he's just walking around with a bag of cookies, which kind of is a funny visual. And uh, as they're talking and kind of like they're bonding a little bit and they're clearly like still dancing around the idea of putting these two together, Anna sees a guy getting out of a cab over Carter's shoulder. Uh, and this will be a new semi-recurring character through the end of the season. Well, 
I guess, recurring character through the end of the season because he'll be in all three of our remaining episodes. Uh, or no, two remaining episodes. We only have two after this week. Uh, Max, her presumably her ex slash current boyfriend, played by actor James Lagrosse or Lagrosse. I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, but he was in stuff like Drugstore Cowboy, Mildred Pierce, and The Last Winter, among many other things. 133 credits to his name. And, wow. Uh, yeah. Real and uh, to be perfectly honest, like a just a real derpy looking dude. Like just a just <laughs> like uh, of all the people they could have cast to be her like I mean, her yeah, like, I, I mean, I, I guess you did need to have somebody who was a little bit scuzzy looking because he's got such a checkered past. But I was honestly like, just you just picked the derpiest dude in the bunch. But uh, so she runs up and gives him a hug and kind of dodges a kiss while also looking at car. It's very awkward. It's very and we don't actually hear from Max. Like we just see him kind of off in the distance and you can you can see his lips moving, but can't actually hear anything that he's saying. So we'll we'll dig more into him next episode okay well let's round out this one uh doyle wakes up doug in the all on call room and doug is just hanging out waiting for carol um and paul was pronounced 30 minutes ago so r.i.p michael rapaport at least at least in the (laughs) er universe uh but let's listen to uh doug and carol hey hey i'll just be another minute sorry take your time Tough one, huh? You okay? Yeah. You sure? Kept asking for his daughter. Never thought of it like that, you know? Maybe he was asking for me. Maybe he wanted to see me and I never came. Dad was probably in a coma, Carol. I don't know. I've been living my mother's version of it for so long, I don't know what memories of him are mine. What's her version? Everything was all right. That it was an accident. He was depressed, Doug. Well, maybe it's time you talk to your mom about it. After he was gone, my mom used to go on and on about how you can never depend on men. (laughs) Now she's head over heels and I'm the one holding back. How messed up is that? It keeps me on my toes. (laughs) I say I want time, but the truth is, I'm scared to death of losing you. Don't be. I'm so sorry, Doug. Don't be. I love you. I love you too. Several things. They're they're gay. (laughs) (laughs) Several things about this. Going back to the uh, on-call room just before the clip starts, how hard do you think they had to work to get Clooney's hair to look that dopey? when he gets up and has like the bed head like i feel like it's so cute Clooney's the type of guy who like i especially at this time i feel like was the type of guy who gets out of bed and his hair is just immediately perfect so like how hard did they have to work to make his hair look messed up first of all also i feel terrible saying this now that we're here with doug and carol i don't care 
Uh, see, and I was just getting ready to say that I think this is actually really good Doug and Carol, uh, a good Doug and Carol moment. But I can see the the like they've they've kind of milked this cow for all it's worth. Like they really have. Yeah. And like just have them be married and happy and be but I will say though this is kind of the end of it really. I mean it's it's kind of the end of them milking just Doug and Carol's relationship because we've already kind of started his exit storyline and that yeah. really takes center stage like Doug and Carol the couple takes back takes a back seat to that whole thing that plays out over the first half of next season. So Yep. Other than their little, you know, that there's going to be a few more Doug and Carol moments but they're not going to have this same uh, feeling and like this same this same emotion right. like it's going to be a much different tone there and yeah I, so I, I like this you know I, I do like this yeah. moment also do they and I don't I, I'm thinking the answer is no but I'm open to being corrected on this but do they dig much deeper ever into Carol and her dad and damage there because they sort of allude to here that da- that Carol's dad committed suicide and they don't really like they don't yeah, really don't, they, like, and then she's like, well, he's like, well, maybe you should finally talk to your mom about it. And as, to, to my knowledge, they never address this ever again. Like yeah, that's not to my knowledge. Yeah. That's not part of her story at all. Listeners, so, please correct us if we're wrong, but I don't It seems like it kind either. of a big story nugget to drop. And it seems like a, a, a fertile ground for more storytelling with Carol's backstory. And they just decided not to talk about it. I don't know why, but. So I'm going to give this one a B minus and. I think that's being a little generous. I was going to say, yeah. Personally, um, only because I like Michael Rappaport Mm -hmm. a lot, and I think his storyline was really good. I wish it had a little bit more room to breathe. Yep. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit because this one was one of those frustrating ones because, you know, you're in the, you're in, we're season four, episode 20. Nice. Um, (sighs) Yeah. So I'm sorry. I had to get it in again. We're only going to, we already missed the 69th episode of the season of the series, I believe. So just, just go <laughs> season six, um, episode nine. will be here soon enough. There we go. You're, Perfect. So we're on season four, episode 20. And, yeah. and it's like, you want, you want the end of the season stuff to be picking up momentum. Mm-hmm. And this felt like it had no momentum whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like it had a great storyline that ultimately won't affect everyone else's overall right. storyline it's, it's a solid standalone but it doesn't do a lot for furthering our point yeah and especially when you get you, you got bits and pieces here that'll drive like what like we said at the end of the episode you know max coming in at the end of the episode will drive mm-hmm. away right uh ms del mico um but yeah it just it meanders way too much yeah it's very messy it's um there's too much stuff in here that doesn't matter um yeah. Which one of uh, our uh, listeners definitely yeah. Gets which to. Michelle Michelle puts that much more eloquently than I'm going to. But like, it's um, it's not just that too many things don't matter because it you can still have a good state even at this point in the season. I think you can still think about. It. I mean, lo- granted, season one's a longer season, but Love's Labor Lost is the 19th episode of that season. Yeah. So you can have a great standalone episode that doesn't affect the overall plots that much. Um, and I think this could, I think this had the potential with the Michael Rapport storyline. I think this had the potential to be a, not as, not obviously to the level of a love's labor loss, but that type of episode where you focus on one singular patient and that, the, the conflict there within, I think that could have been a really, really big storyline to pull from. 
it felt like they were trying to recapture so, a little bit of that magic from Love's Labor Lost in its own way. Yeah, like but I, like they didn't quite, uh, you know. Obviously, this, Michael Michael Rappaport is is not. I appreciate him. He's not Bradley Whitford. No, nobody's <laughs> nobody's Bradley Whitford. Yeah, but yeah, it's 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 almost one of those episodes that you would recommend to somebody who who just needs to get a feel for the show. Right. Almost. Or remember the the one from early early season one. Um, I think it's called into that good night where the the guy is slowly dying over the course of the yes. night of heart failure and green is kind of walking oh through, you yeah know, comforting him through. it could have been that type of episode you know he could have really been you know we could have gotten more of his backstory with his daughter and, and the the choices or the the thought process that led him to leaving and all that other stuff like dig more into his backstory and let carter's um Mr. Lorenzo, let him be the the kind of not comedy relief, but the the slightly lighter B plot, the reprieve, the reprieve from that. You know, as much as I think it was something worth digging into, dig into it on a different episode. Uh, Carrie's HIV positive patient, just get rid of that. We don't need it. Like, get rid yeah. of it. Uh, the the jumper off the bridge, don't need it. Get not rid of it. Not at all. The methadone baby. The methadone nah. baby. It comprises 10 minutes of screen time and wastes everyone's time. Get rid of it. There's so much fluff and extra shit in this episode that doesn't need to be there. And if you had just focus on those two threads, I think you could have had a really excellent, like, A-plus, all-time great episode. And as a, and in not doing that, you're left with this, like you said, B, which is like a, a, a generous B. Like, it really mm-hmm. is, yeah. is a C-plus. Like, it's, like it's, mm-hmm. it's a very average episode with really good stuff in it. Like it's one that you're not going to think about rewatching ever, but if you do rewatch it, you'll go, man, I forgot Ra- Michael Rapport was on this show and he was really yeah. good in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's just frustrating to me because this is a story line that they go back to like, like a, like a general storyline yeah. per single person dying over an episode. Yeah. This is a well that they draw from oh, yeah. several times throughout the series. I mean, it's a hospital. It's going to happen. I mean, it's true. Yeah. I mean, it's, but like without, been, without, without putting bombs in people's yeah. chests. But I'm just saying like, but we have those other ones that are so much better. Mm-hmm. Right. This is still good. And still a good utilization of Michael Rappaport as a guest star. But it could be so much more. Yeah. And that's what frustrates me when watching it. Yeah, exactly. What do the listeners have to say, though? Quite a lot. Um, <laughs> Michelle K starts us off with, Michael Rappaport should have won an Emmy for this performance. One of my favorite guest stars so far. He's an awesome actor, and if you haven't seen him in higher learning, then you need to go watch that. Content warning for pretty much all things, all the things, <laughs> but it's a powerful movie. Now, I have to be critical of this episode. They tried to cram too much in. The hydrofluoric acid burn case and how it affects Carol. The older woman who has AIDS but doesn't know it. The guy who ran over his son with the car. The comedy relief bit with Anna and Carter trying to care for and communicate with a disabled gentleman. The methadone withdrawal baby. Romano being a sexist douche nozzle to Elizabeth. Gamma Carter demanding Carter help the family business. And then Anna's boyfriend showing up. Carol and Doug. It's just a lot. They really didn't need all the side stories and just stuck with a couple big ones that were needed to move the series along. I know we're running out of episodes for the season, which is exactly why they should have narrowed it down instead of doing filler. Amen. Amen. (sighs) And that's, see, like that's, we just talked it to death a minute ago and there's two more plot threads that I didn't even think of in the moment that you could have dispensed with. Like the kid being run over by his dad, 
doesn't matter because the kid doesn't even die. And so it basically is it's the whole thing exists for one awkward moment between Benton and the dad. That's it. There's yep. nothing else to take from that. And then yep. grandma or uh, gamma, you could have done that anytime. You don't have to do that yep. this episode. You could do that next episode or next season. It doesn't matter. Yep. Why did we have to do that this episode? Yep. Uh, Marielle comments, Robert doesn't even let his tea steep with three exclamation points to which Fran or W responding to Mary L says his rocks, my British tea drinking sensibilities to the core. What an animal. <laughs> oh, very divisive tea chat here. And then Fran or W says, I'm a girl who was brought back into a relationship with her dad. Thanks to a wonderful nurse like Carol, when he was in ICU under a cage with his chest still open as everything was too swollen to close it. Had it happened when I was a little girl, I could have been Molly. Luckily, I was in my 20s and so could make up my own mind. He survived and our relationship is about as mended as it will ever be. I feel lucky for that to have happened. All that said, I watched this storyline before and after our reconciliation, and each time it felt like a punch to the gut, but for different reasons. Today when I watched, I was more focused on Hathaway and what this meant to her, and oof, I did me some crying. Mm. Thank you for sharing that, Fran. Yeah. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. We really appreciate it. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get access to a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Cherry, two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over a dozen hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a bonus show called The Lounge, where we talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and the world at that moment. I think uh, the most recent one should be us moving. Yeah, the the chronicles of the move. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exciting stuff. Um, movie reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and flash forward where we do a commentary track for future ER episodes. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trap. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me posing with my brand new Whose Films Are Those mug on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345. Daniel set us up a merch store. Um, so yeah, if you want any setting the tone logo swag, such as t-shirts, tank tops, or mugs, or I think tote bags, yeah. you can get those if you either, I just Google setting the tone bonfire store and it comes right up. Yeah. The link is also everywhere you find our links. Yeah, if you follow us on Instagram or Twitter, um, Facebook, I think it's a little buried, but on yeah. Instagram or Twitter, if you just fo- if you just click the link tree link that I put underneath all of our posts, it's the top link in there. Yep. And also... We have the beautiful Whose Films Are Those cartoon version of my face that is a mug or a t-shirt. I can't believe Daniel bought the t-shirt. I still can't believe you, got, I, you made that. I bought the mug as a power move to keep in my office, so I'm drinking out of my own face. I just I just want to live look in for whenever you t- and tell someone, get the fuck out of both of my faces right now. <laughs> <laughs> It'll happen. It'll oh, happen. oh, it'll happen. It'll jokingly happen. When but. when everybody's back in the office, uh, someone someone with good humor is going to get that that comment. But I have to pick the right person. Right. And one of my coworkers also bought one too. So my face is in three different spots in the office. Jesus Christ! Uh, <laughs> my face is on Twitter. You can find me on at random gamer. That's J A M three R. 
as well as on the Popular Court's YouTube channel doing a Let's Play of the Mass Effect Legendary Edition Collection. New episodes of that are out every Friday. You can find those videos and much, much more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. Thanks again to everyone very much for listening. Please join us again next time for the penultimate episode of Season 4, and have a great week. Thank you.